You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Watching those infomercials, they, they have a lot of techniques to try to get you to buy their products. You know, they uh, remove payments, so instead of five payments of 1995, it's four payments of 1995, so you got to buy it. It's, uh, they give you bonus items, so you get, instead of just ten knives, you get a thousand knives on the, on the knife one, if you've seen that. They, they give you a ton of knives. Uh, but one of the most effective ways to sell something on an infomercial or anywhere is to take, remove the risk from somebody buying it, so the money-back guarantee if you're not completely satisfied, within 30 days, send a, for your money back for a full refund of the purchase price. A very effective way to get someone to buy something is to have a money back guarantee. Because money back guarantees are very comforting, very reassuring to know that you can try something. There's not going to be any consequences if you don't like it. You now, if you didn't want a hundred soft rock songs from the 70s, you can just turn it, turn it back, give it back to them. They'll give you all your money back. Very reassuring. And... There was for a time kind of a move away from money-back guarantees because they weren't as effective. But now they found with people buying stuff over the Internet, again, one of the most effective ways to get someone to buy something, if they can't actually hold it and uh, see it for themselves before they buy it, is a money-back guarantee is very comforting. All guarantees are very comforting. Just imagine you know, if you had a job where you were guaranteed you would never lose your job. It's very comforting to know that that's always going to be there. You can take risks. You can try new things. And you're never going to lose your job. And you get to work just, you know, enjoyment and not having to prove yourself. Or if uh, you're married and you have a guarantee your spouse will never leave you no matter what, very comforting because you're not always working, you know, to prove yourself to your spouse. You can just serve them and love them for, you know, the relationship how it is. Guarantees are very comforting. Conversely, maybe some of you are working jobs where you're not sure if you are going to have the job in a month from now. You're on the edge whether you know they're laying people off or bad performance. Hopefully not. But if you're not sure you're going to keep your job, it's it's very stressful because you're feeling like you always have to prove yourself. Or like a marriage, a marriage where you're not sure where your future is if it's secure, very stressful. It always see. Am I doing enough to please my spouse? And guarantees are very, very comforting. Now, as Christians, sometimes we live our Christian life and our Christian walk, our sanctification, like there aren't any guarantees. And sometimes we live like we're not sure what's going to happen for us. I mean, we all understand intellectually as Christians what our you know future eternal life, our destiny. But a lot of times we live our day-to-day lives like that's not a guarantee. And we get very concerned with proving ourselves to God and thinking that we have to do certain things for God to be happy with us 
or for us to deserve our inheritance. Sometimes we have that problem of living like there's no guarantee. What we're going to look at tonight in Romans is that guarantee of what our future holds as Christians. And the guarantee is very comforting, we will see, to allow us to take risks and live fully without reservations, without hesitations. We can live knowing where our destiny is and what our guarantees are. And this is the doctrine of assurance, is the theological word. Now we are assured an inheritance, and assurance is defined as the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, living inside you. After you place your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside you, or He even turns you to Jesus in the first place, and He causes you to grow in Jesus and grow in your sanctification. So you have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, along with the outward manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit living in you is going to lead to external change of the fruits of the Spirit, like love, kindness, forgiveness, those types of things. That allows the justified believer to know he or she is saved and has eternal life. That's the idea of assurance. And it's not just a doctrinal statement. It is a reality as Christians, that impacts our daily lives because we have guarantees in Jesus. Things that will not be taken away from us. We have an inheritance is what we will see tonight in Romans. As we're in chapter 8 of Romans, one of the most loved chapters in the entire Bible and one of the most beloved books of the entire Bible. So we're going to take a few weeks going through chapter 8 of Romans. And the context of Romans is that it's an essay on salvation Paul, the human author of Romans, through the Holy Spirit, is explaining to the Roman Christians what salvation is. And it's split into sections. The first few chapters are about condemnation and how we are all sinners and what we deserve is an eternity of hell and suffering for what we've done in order to show that we have no works to stand on, that the just will live by faith. After that, he moves on to a section on justification where he explains how even though you are guilty before God, Jesus paid the penalty for those sins, and now you're seen as legally innocent before God. And chapter 8 is the height of the section on sanctification. So chapter 6, 7, 8 of Romans are about what happens after we are justified, after God has said we are innocent of the penalties for our sins. And sanctification is our walk with Jesus after we're saved. Our commitment to Jesus is a lifetime, not just a decision one time, it's a lifestyle. And we continue every day to walk with Him and grow with Him through the power of the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Him. That's the idea behind sanctification. And in chapter 8 is building up to kind of the climax of sanctification. And tonight, based off of what uh, we talked about last week, if you're here, where it was uh, how we live according to the flesh as non-Christians where we are consumed with ourself. We only care about ourself really, our own needs, our own worries, our own struggles. We want to do what we want to do and don't want anyone to tell us we can't do it. And that does not please God, it shows. And then God Himself comes to the earth to become fully man and fully God as Jesus to take away the sins of people so that we can walk according to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in us and helps us to grow And now we can live lives pleasing to God because we've already been saved. 
So tonight, in Romans 8, 12-17, is a continuation of that thought of living according to the Spirit. So we're going to see how that plays out, living according to the Spirit, how that gives us guarantees so that we're able to live abundantly, we're able to live with assurance, we're able to live with boldness. We don't have to worry on our you know day-to-day thing if our salvation is secure, what's happening to us. This is our guarantees, our assurance. And the big idea is that because we are heirs with Christ, we can live confidently in Christ. So there's the big idea. And we're going to see all these promises that kind of stack on each other that show us how we are heirs with Christ. That's an amazing thing. So we're going to build up to that. Now because we are heirs with Christ, we can live confidently in Christ. So the first part of that is in Romans 8, 12 and 13, where we see that if we are putting our flesh to death, then we are being led by the Spirit. So we're going to see a few if-then statements. It's not if you do, it's not that they're conditional, it's that if you're doing one, then the other is happening as well. They're equal. So the first part of this is if we are putting our flesh to death, that means we're being led by the Spirit. That's the first step in our guarantee. So verses 12 and 13 of Romans 8 say this, Therefore, brethren, and the therefore refers to how we can live according to the Spirit now. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if we're putting our flesh to death, that means we are being led by the Spirit. And it says a few important things here in these two verses about that. First, it says in verse 12, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So we are debtors, not to the flesh. Now, is anyone here in debt, massive amounts of debt like me? You don't have to say massive, because in you know, student loans, house payments, car payments, we can relate to this idea of being in debt to something or to someone, and it's saying we're not debtors to the flesh. That means we don't owe our flesh anything. If I'm in massive amounts of student loan debt, I'm not going to pay that debt to a bank I don't owe money to. I just paid my car off a little bit ago. I'm not going to continue making payments on my car because I'm not in debt to that. So we don't pay debts. We don't pay anything to something we're not indebted to. And we are not debtors to the flesh. We are not in debt. We don't owe any obligation to the flesh. And the flesh biblically is that part of us apart from Jesus, that doesn't want to listen to God's authority, the part of us that wants to sin and doesn't feel repentance about it, the part of us that doesn't want God to tell us what to do, we want to be in authority over our own lives. That's our flesh. And as part of being a Christian, Jesus says, first you deny yourself, you deny your flesh, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus. So we are not in debt to our flesh. We don't have to make a payment to that part of us. Sometimes we're not in debt to a bank. We're in debt to people. And when you're in debt to people, it's because you feel an obligation to them. Maybe they've done something for you and you feel obligated to pay, to pay them because they've helped you. 
And if you're living according to the flesh, that means you feel some sort of obligation to your flesh. You're feeling some sort of indebtedness to your flesh. But you are not obligated to live according to the flesh. We are not debtors to the flesh. We don't owe our old self anything. We don't have to live in our old way of life before we knew Jesus. We are able through the work of the Holy Spirit to put those things to death so we don't live according to them. We're not under obligation to them because your flesh, my flesh, our flesh never helped us. That never led to good things when we were rebellious against God. Our flesh never saved us. We can never do enough good things to make ourselves worthy in God's sight through the works of our flesh. Your flesh never encouraged you. Your flesh knocks you down and tells you how you're guilty and you don't deserve love. Your flesh never picks you up. Your flesh doesn't help you in any way. As a matter of fact, our flesh hurts us because our flesh condemns us. Our flesh compels us to do what we don't want to do. It makes us a slave to our sin. Our flesh makes us feel guilty. But the problem so often as Christians, we live like we are in debt to our flesh. Like we have an obligation to pay to that. And we live according to our sinful nature rather than putting that to death and living according to the Spirit. So here's an example of how this plays out. Sometimes I get uh, really insecure about various things. And that's something my flesh does. The Spirit doesn't give us insecurity. The Spirit gives us security. But in my flesh, I'll feel insecure about things. Now I have a choice when I'm feeling insecure. Do I pay a debt to that insecurity and give into it? Or do I not pay that obligation and follow the Spirit? A lot of times what I do is I live like I'm in debt to that and I'm insecure and then I give into that, and then they become really whiny and annoying. And that's usually what happens when I feel insecure, is I get whiny and annoying. So if I'm whiny and annoying, I'm insecure. But I'm not under obligation to do that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can say, no, I'm not going to be insecure. I'm not going to be whiny. I'm going to live according to the Spirit. And again, most of the time, at least in my life, maybe not most of the time, a lot of the times, I give in to the flesh like I'm indebted to it, although it's never helped me. Now it says we are debtors though. We are debtors, but not to the flesh. Who we are indebted to is God. We are debtors. The contrast is the flesh versus the spirit. And we are in debt not to ourselves and our own needs, our own desires. We are in debt to God because He paid the price of a debt we can never pay. So we are obligated to Him now because He sent His Son to make the payment for our sins to pay the penalty for our sins because we can never pay that. We were in debt to our flesh and He made the payment and now we have an obligation to God. And not one of, I have to do it, but one of, I get to. It's a loving relationship. So we are in debt, but not to ourselves, not to our flesh, but we are in debt to God. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like it says in verse 2 of Romans 8, it says, "...the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus..." has made me free from the law of sin and death. We are free from the obligation to live according to our flesh. We are not indebted to that. Because it says in verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If we continually live like we are indebted to our flesh, 
we will die. If we are always living according to the flesh, we will die physically and we will die spiritually if we never put our flesh to death and follow Jesus. Because the physical payment is we die physically. But if we never uh, give up our flesh, we never put our flesh to death, we never live according to the Spirit, that means we never trusted in Jesus for our salvation, which leads to also spiritual, eternal death in eternal torment in hell. Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And you can live a whole life trying to please your flesh, trying to find something that's going to make you feel happy with yourself, trying to find something that's going to fill this hole inside of you, trying to find something that is going to tell you you're a good enough person. You can live your whole life trying to make payment to your flesh, but you will never be able to pay your flesh and you will die in debt to your sin in physical and spiritual death. Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But then it says in the second part of verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. A very important verse here, because this is talking about our sanctification. Maybe it's at the heart of all sanctification, of walking with Jesus. Because this takes both, takes two. Justification, being declared innocent of your sins, is entirely the work of Jesus. We have nothing to do with that. But it says in our sanctification... By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. So you can't do it on your own. You cannot, on your own, put anything to death. You can maybe cover it enough so that you don't feel really guilty about it. But you cannot, on your own, without the help of the Holy Spirit, put your flesh to death because the flesh is not more powerful than the flesh. You can't defeat the flesh with flesh. It's only by the Spirit you're able to do that. But it's not the Spirit alone. It says, by the Spirit you put to death. So we work with the Spirit. We have to be obedient to the Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit, as we'll see in a minute, to do that. But it takes our willingness to work with the Holy Spirit and for Him to work through us to put to death the deeds of the flesh. This part of Christianity is work. A lot of times we think, you know, because Jesus paid all the price, He did everything, which is true, that being a Christian involves nothing that you have to do. But our sanctification is a cooperation of you putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. So, if we are putting our flesh to death, then we're being led by the Spirit. Conversely, If we're not putting our flesh to death, that means we are not being led by the Spirit. So very important, we're putting our flesh to death. We are denying ourselves, the part of us that wants to do whatever we want to do, and now tell us differently, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. That's called self-righteousness. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. So the first part of our assurance here involves the work, involves putting our flesh to death. So if we are putting our flesh to death, then we're being led by the Spirit. Now let's go to the next part of this. So if we're being led by the Spirit, that means we are God's children. So if we're putting our flesh to death, that means we're being led by the Spirit. If we're being led by the Spirit, that means we are God's children. 
That's what it says in verses 14 and 15 of Romans 8. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. If we're being led by the Spirit, that means we're God's children. And this is where our promises start to take in and our guarantees, our assurances, we start to see you know, these build on one thing after the other. So very important here. There's this word led. It says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. And that, that little section is when I was studying this, that affected me the most personally, about being led by the Spirit. Is there thought about and prayed about what's that mean to be led by the Spirit? Because that would obviously be, be very helpful if we could understand what that means and then we know we are being led by the Spirit rather than being led by our flesh. And I looked at the word led in Greek, the original language this was written, and that helped me see what Paul's writing about here. It's not... I, I used to think when I read that being led by the Spirit was kind of like the Holy Spirit is our leader and we look at Him and He leads us in that way. But that's not really what that word led means. It's a physical leading. It's when someone physically leads somebody somewhere else. And the picture I got when I, when I think of that is uh, a horse trainer leading a horse. You know, and they're both walking on foot. And the trainer is the Holy Spirit in this case, and we're the, the horse, the big dumb animal, that uh, if it's not being led, is going to do a whole bunch of dumb things. Hey, no, no offense to horses, but uh, horses need a trainer, and the trainer builds a relationship with the horse, so the horse trusts them. And if you take a horse right out of the wild, they don't want to be led, but it's a relationship where the trainer and the horse bond. Hey, the, the trainer provides the horse's needs, gives it sheltering is a food and eventually the horse will trust the trainer to be led by the trainer and that's a picture of the holy spirit is leading us the same way a trainer leads a horse and when that's working it's beautiful i mean you have a huge animal that's willingly following the trainer i mean it's not a perfect illustration because we're not more powerful than the holy spirit like a horse is more powerful than us but it's the picture that comes to mind and we have in this church a horse whisperer named Crystal Pamplona. And I got her, her insights on leading a horse. Because I rode a horse one time when I was like six. Never did it again because it didn't listen to me. So now I'm afraid of them. But she, I, I was wondering, yeah, that's good when we're being led by the Spirit. And it's we are submitting to the Spirit. We are allowing the Spirit to lead us. But sometimes the horse doesn't want to be led. And the horse goes, Arr! Hey, there's my horse noise. And the horse does that and, you know, throws its head back and gets up on its, on its back feet and it doesn't want to be led. The horse gets stubborn. And it's not because the trainer, the trainer's been taking care of the horse. The trainer's been building a relationship with the horse. Just sometimes the horse decides to be dumb. The horse decides to be rebellious. And the horse decides, I don't want to be led anymore. So it goes through all that. So I asked, or I had Adrian ask Crystal, for me, what she does when, when a horse does that and how to get a horse to be led again. And I thought it was very insightful. She said, uh, first, that the rope that you're holding, you let it go to the very end. So you're, you have the most distance between you and the horse that you can, but you keep holding on to the rope. 
And then you turn around and face the horse. And she said, as you start walking to the horse, and a horse, even though it's big and powerful and could probably kill you, you know, with those, those hooves, she said it's very easy to make a horse back up. A horse will always backpedal when you turn around and face it and walk towards it. And she says, usually what happens is the horse will eventually stop backpedaling and will let you approach it and you'll give it a little pat, little little pet, little whisper, a horse whisper, and uh, then the horse will allow itself to be led again. And I thought, it will, the spiritual truth here, right, that when we are being led willingly, it's, it's nice, like the ho- trainer leading the horse. Everything's working nice. The horse is submitting to the trainer because the horse loves the trainer. But sometimes we go, and don't want to be led by the Spirit of God. And then maybe, I mean, this isn't how the Holy Spirit works all the time, but then sometimes we feel distant from God because we're being rebellious. We don't want to be led by Him. We want to be led by the flesh. And that's, you know, the trainer getting the horse or the rope to the very end of the rope. That you feel distant from God, but He is still there holding on to you. But maybe what it takes for you to realize what you're doing and to follow Him again willingly is feeling that distance feeling like I don't feel close to God anymore. I'm not following Him anymore. But He is still there. And what He's doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing, is facing you and showing you your sin of not being led by Him and showing how you are being rebellious and you are being sinful and He's facing you and walking towards you and convicting you. But we are backpedaling like the horse. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to be convicted. We don't want to be led. We want to be defiant and rebellious. But if you're in that state of rebellion, if you're in that state of not wanting to be led by the Spirit, just like the horse, the horse has to eventually stop backpedaling and let the trainer approach it. And if we're backpedaling from God, we're not wanting Him to convict us of our sins, stop backpedaling. He's still in control. He still has the rope on you. And He's walking toward you, trying to get you to repent and turn to Him and be led by Him. And when you stop backpedaling, the distance it will come close again. You won't feel distant from God. And He'll reassure you. He'll comfort you. You know, He'll whisper to you. He'll pat you. He'll give you the, the little stroke. You know, not, not literally, obviously. But we'll be comforted by Him. And then we'll realize, you know what? He was always... I should have never been rebellious. He takes care of my needs. He provides for me. He died for me to pay the price for my sin. There's no reason for me to re- be rebellious. There's no reason for me not to be led by Him. So stop backpedaling and be the, the nice horse, the horse I'm not, I'm not afraid of, that'll just follow willingly, obediently, because of the relationship of the horse and the trainer. And that to me is what it means to be led by the Spirit. If we are submitting, if we are listening to the Spirit, it works out really nice. But when we want to be rebellious, the Spirit is going to gain control over us. But sometimes there's consequences for that rebellion. Sometimes that's what we need to see before we will turn around and be led by the Spirit. So it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you're being led by the Spirit. If you're being led by the Spirit, you are a son of God. And this is not a sexist thing. At this time, this was written as revolutionary to call everyone sons, because sons received the full inheritance. Sons had the privileged position. 
And you see that all throughout the Bible that we are seen as sons, the full inheritance, men or women, the full inheritance. This is something culturally they didn't accept. Culturally at the time, women were second class citizens. They didn't get the inheritance. But by the Bible calling everyone God's sons, gives honor to women and puts men and women equal how God actually sees men and women, not like how a lot of times culture does. So when we're led by the Spirit, we are sons, sons of God, and sons inherit things, which we'll get to in a minute. And it says, we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. The Holy Spirit we received when we put our faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit who's guiding us that we are being led by, it's not a spirit of fear. It's not a spirit of slavery. We are God's children. We are not God's slaves. That's a privileged position that God allows us to have. We do not deserve to be called, called, called God's children. We don't deserve any relationship with God because we're sinful and He's perfect and holy. But He allows us to be called His children. And when we don't live confidently, like I mentioned at the beginning, when we live our lives like we are always having to please God, we always have to do certain things or He's not going to like us anymore. When we live that way, it's because we have that spirit of fear, the spirit of slavery to fear. In 1 John 4.18 it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And if we are, sometimes, certain people this happens to more than others, and I always say I'm a self-righteous person, and I don't get so down on myself like you know some other people. But sometimes... I'm like that. Sometimes maybe that's something we struggle with from time to time. It's feeling like I cannot please God, which we can't on our own, but He loves us enough that we can. We can have that relationship. And we think it's not a relationship of being He's my Father and I'm His child. We think it's like I'm a slave to Him and I have to follow this. I have to do this or God's not going to love me. And there's no assurances there. And it says, perfect love casts out fear. It says in Romans that we didn't receive a spirit of bondage to fear. We received a spirit of adoption by whom we can cry out, Abba, Father. We are, don't live enslaved to God. We are His children. And this is how He relates to us. And this is an amazing promise, an amazing assurance. Because God could call Himself anything. He could, and He does. I mean, but... He could say, you need to call me, I am your king. He could say, I am your master. He could say, I am your Lord. But he does, but he primarily says, I am your father. And when Jesus tells his disciples to pray, he doesn't say, pray our master who is in heaven, our king who is in heaven, our Lord who is in heaven, even though he could. He says, we pray our father who is in heaven. That's the relationship God has chosen to have with us, that he is our father and we are His children. And there's no fear in that relationship. That's not the Spirit we received. So we can cry out, not Master, not Lord, although we can, but we cry out, Abba, Father. He's our Father. Abba is it makes it even more of that relationship because Abba, sometimes people say it means Daddy. From what I understand, it's not Daddy because it's also what grown men would call their dads. I hope you don't call your dad Daddy if you're a grown man. 
But it's not dad. It's, it's a familiar term. It's a, you probably don't call your own dad father. You call him dad. And Abba's like that. So he's not some father, you know, father figure. He is dad. He is our dad. It's a personal relationship. That's what, it's an Aramaic word that you would call your dad. You wouldn't use the formal word. It's an informal word for dad, Abba. And that's how we can call our father. It's a personal relationship. And sometimes, you know, we, there's a lot of terrible earthly fathers. And my dad was a great dad. But I see a lot of times in the youth group and in teaching high school, there's a lot of terrible earthly fathers out there. But God is a perfect heavenly father. He is always listening. He is always there to help you. He is always there to build you up. He's always there to lead you. He's not an absentee father like some of the fathers in this world. He's a perfect father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And that's the relationship he chooses to have with us through the Holy Spirit. Not a relationship of fear, but a relationship of children. We are his children and he is our father. So if we're putting our flesh to death, that means we're being led by the Spirit. And if we're being led by the Spirit, that means we are a child of God. Which leads to the third part where we see our guarantee where if we are God's children, then we are God's heirs. So verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. So we are God's children, which means we are God's heirs. And inheritance is a promise. It's something you will receive. It's only a matter of time, and we don't have the full inheritance right now. But we are heirs with Christ. That's amazing. This is guarantee. This is assurance. We don't have to live like we are constantly having to please God out of a spirit of fear, but we want to please God out of a spirit of adoption as children because we are His heirs. And it says that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit living in you tells you you are God's child. And you know you have the Holy Spirit living in you if you've placed your full salvation in Jesus, if you see yourself starting to change, like there's things I never used to ever want to do before as a Christian, now all of a sudden I want to do those things. I want to do the things that God loves. I want to not do the thing that, things that God hates. If you see your desires changing to be in alignment with God, the Holy Spirit is living in you. And that's a guarantee that you're God's child, which means you're also God's heir. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. And this is, you know, I've shared this before, that before I was a Christian, I was an atheist, and I used to listen to CSN to make fun of it. And now I am on CSN right now. And that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there's a change. And that's all God. That's not me at all. Because me, who I am, I'd be listening to someone else on CSN right now, laughing at them if I was driving in the car, thinking Christians are so dumb. Why would they follow that? But that's the Holy Spirit. And that's happened with all of us when the Holy Spirit lives within us. There's things, our beliefs change, our desires change, our lifestyle change, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you see those things happening, the fruits of the Spirit, love, happiness, joy, kindness, long-suffering, patience, 
If you see those things manifesting in your life, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. Because you are free of your sins. You've accepted Jesus as your Savior, as God Himself paying the price for your sins, being a perfect sacrifice and never sinned. You have the Holy Spirit living in you and He is your guarantee of your position with God. It says that in a couple places in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Now He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee that you are saved. You have eternal life. You have an inheritance with God. You have a relationship with God now. He is your Father. And you can live according to the Spirit rather than living according to the flesh. It's a guarantee. It says that He has sealed us. And that's a mark of possession. It's like a signature. That God paid a price for you. He purchased you with His own blood. Much more valuable than gold or rubies. He purchased you and now you are His. You are His beloved possession that has His seal on you. His Spirit is living inside of you. You are His. And maybe there's some of us who've never heard that someone actually loves you and you belong to them and they care about you. And that's the relationship we have with God because of the Holy Spirit, because of our Lord Jesus Christ who died to pay the price for our sins, that God the Father, you are His cherished possession, purchased with the blood of His Son. It says in Ephesians as well, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. Guarantees do not get taken away. If you are someone's child, once you're always their child. It's like my little boy back there, John. He is always, he is always my son. No matter what he does, no matter what I do, we always have that relationship. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that you have that relationship with God if the Holy Spirit truly lives within you. So that's our guarantee. But now the question, what do we inherit? It says if we are children, then we're heirs, co-heirs or joint heirs with Christ. So we are obviously not in the same category as Jesus. He is perfect. He is almighty. He is God. He is Savior. But we still are co-heirs with Him. So in some way, we inherit what He inherits. And Jesus inherits, He has perfection. Jesus is perfect. We will receive perfection when He returns and we live in God's eternal kingdom and we receive our glorified bodies. We inherit that. We will inherit Jesus' righteousness. We will inherit Jesus' love. But additionally, we the main inheritance we have is we inherit a place in God's eternal kingdom. Hey, that's saved for you if you've put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. He has a place for you in His eternal kingdom. It's guaranteed. That is your inheritance. This is probably best described in Revelation 21. What a picture of God's eternal kingdom. We see it throughout the Bible. This is the best one. Here's our inheritance. Revelation 21, 3 and 4, it says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men 
and He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. So we get to live in the presence of God, face to face with Jesus. But it says also, God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Our inheritance as God's children is God Himself will wipe all the tears out of your eyes, all the tears you've ever cried, all the pain you've ever felt, and you receive a perfected, glorified body. An eternal kingdom where there is no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no death. And we'll, the next part of Romans really digs into that. So we'll look at that next week, What more about what that's like, our inheritance. But that's what we inherit. We have a place in God's kingdom. Jesus says, His Father's house has many rooms and He's prepared one for us. We have an inheritance in His kingdom where He will wipe all the tears from our eyes and there will be no more sorrow, no more pain. And any afflictions we felt in this world, we won't have anymore if we're His children because that's our inheritance and it's a guarantee. And what we're talking about is our confidence and our assurance, our guarantee in Jesus. But sometimes as we struggle, it's hard to keep this in perspective to remember that we do have an inheritance. Because it says right here, I mean, kind of a buzzkill, it says, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's good. If indeed we suffer with Him. Ah, oh, there's buzzkill right away. So we are going to suffer with Him. That's part of it. Because if we suffer with Him, then we may be glorified with Him. But when we are in the midst of suffering, when we're in those seasons where things aren't going, maybe we're being rebellious to God, we're not being led by the Spirit. Maybe it's the circumstances surrounding us. It's hard to keep that in mind. But we can't perfectly see our inheritance right now. It says in 1 Corinthians 13 that now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Right now we only see things in part. We only see things in reflection. We don't see the true things. We don't see God's kingdom fully. We don't see Jesus face to face like we will. Now it's in part. And it's hard to put the flesh to death. It's hard to be led by the Spirit. It's hard to know we are God's children. It's hard to trust in our inheritance because right now we're not looking at the real thing. We're looking at the reflection, looking through a mirror dimly. Not even a good reflection. That's what we're seeing right now. So sometimes it's hard to remember that that's our inheritance but we will see face to face. We will see Jesus face to face. And our faith will be replaced with knowing Him. It won't be faith anymore. It will be knowledge. And we will know Him as we have been known. If we're putting our flesh to death, we're being led by the Spirit. If we're being led by the Spirit, we're God's children. For God's children, then we're God's heirs. So then to, to conclude, to solve our problem of living without assurances, is that if we are God's heirs, we can live confidently. Because it's an assurance, it's a guarantee. It's, we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's what it says in First Peter. That's our guarantee. An incorruptible, undefiled guarantee that does not fade away, reserved in heaven. So we can live confidently. And like we talked about, if you have confidence guarantee in your job or in your marriage or even in 
buying things off of infomercials. You feel much more confident to take risks, to live abundantly, to live according to the Spirit rather than according to the flesh, to be led by the Spirit because these things are guaranteed. You don't have to prove yourself to God because you can't. But Jesus already paid the price so that you can have a relationship with Him to be led by the Spirit. So we are heirs if we're led by the Spirit. We are God's children if the Holy Spirit lives in us. But now the question that I want to end with is, what kind of heir are you going to be? There's different types of heirs that you can be. Uh, You see them on TV, the social medias, the tweeters, all these things. There's different types that you can have an inheritance and be a different heir. Like you can be a spoiled heir. We've seen these ones, right? People who have their whole life set for them. They have an inheritance, so they never have to work. They get everything taken care of, so now they think they can do whatever they want to do because everything's taken care of, like the prodigal son in the book of Luke. And they take advantage of a guarantee. We can be spoiled heirs when we're self-indulgent, when we think I can do what I want because God's going to forgive it anyway. That's a spoiled heir. We're taking advantage of God's generosity. We can be a snobby heir. You're like the type of person who is rich and inherits a bunch of money and then looks down on people because they have struggles they don't. There's even a thing that's become common recently is like rich people calling people peasants again. And it's that mentality that I have everything taken care of so now I'm better than you and I can look down on people. Sometimes we can be the snobby heir. And we are this heir when we're self-righteous, when we think we're better than other people because we are heirs, when we're, we think we're better than our co-heirs because we do certain things more. We can be snobby heirs when we're being self-righteous. We can be lazy heirs where we say, hey, there's no need. I got my future covered. I don't have to do anything. And we're this heir when we don't serve anywhere, when we don't give, when we don't serve the church, when we don't serve Christians, when we don't invest our resources in God's kingdom. Then we're lazy heirs. We can be whiny heirs. Like, uh, I don't know if this show's still on. Remember Sweet 16 on MTV? Where Joe knows, yeah, where they have uh, the Sweet 16 party of all these uh, rich girls. And the the most famous episodes are the ones where they get like a Corvette or something for their birthday and then they throw a fit because it's not the right color. You know, the struggle. Uh, we can be that whiny air where we're just not getting what we want. So now we're complaining about things and we're whiny. And I'm not talking about struggling during hard times. I'm talking about when times aren't hard and we're just being whiny and disobedient and rebellious and saying, I wanted the different color car. My parents ruined Christmas because I wanted the gray iPhone and I got the white one. That kind of thing. We can be, I am like that a lot of times. The whiny heir. But then there's the righteous heir. This is the heir who's thankful for what he or she is inheriting. That is proud of their parents for working so hard that they have an inheritance. Is the type of heir that because they have so much money, they're generous and gives things away. They're willing to work because even though they don't need to work, now they can do it out of joy. And this is the heir we want to be. That We can all give God and He's been generous to us. So we want to invest in His kingdom, in His people, and serving and working, even though we don't have to because we've already been saved, but because we want to, because we don't want to be spoiled heirs, snobby heirs, lazy heirs, or whiny heirs. We want to be righteous heirs. We've seen how... If we're putting our flesh to death, that means we're being led by the Spirit. If we're being led by the Spirit, we're God's children. If we're God's children, we're His heirs. Remember as well, this works in reverse. 
that if we're God's heirs, that means we're God's children. For God's children, that means we're being led by the Spirit. If we're being led by the Spirit, that means we need to be putting the deeds of the flesh to death through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to do that as being righteous heirs, putting our flesh to death because it works forwards and backwards. And we have confidence now. We have guarantee. We have guarantee that you know when we are being mocked for our faith, we can remember that we can live confidently in Christ because we have a guarantee. When we're the only Christian in our families, we remember that we can live confidently in Christ because we have a guarantee. When we're feeling like we cannot please God, we can live confidently in Christ because we have a guarantee. When we don't want to be led by the Spirit, remember that we can live confidently in Christ because we have a guarantee. When we're feeling insecure and unsure of ourselves, remember that we can live confidently in Christ because we have a guarantee. Guarantees are very comforting, very reassuring. I hope you see this. How we don't have to prove ourselves to God, but we are already loved by Him. And now we can live like we have guarantees. And we will suffer, like it says in verse 17, but we're also heirs with Christ. We have a guarantee, we have assurance, we are heirs with Christ, so we can live confidently in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that I can be an heir to your kingdom, that my brothers and sisters here are heirs to your kingdom, that my brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, we are all heirs to your kingdom, even though we do not deserve it at all. We do not deserve confidence or assurance or guarantees, but you've given it to us because you love us, because you sent your Son to pay the price for our sins so that we can live according to the Holy Spirit and be led by the Spirit. Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit we would not be whiny heirs or lazy heirs or all those other bad ones, but we would be a righteous heir that is generous and lives abundantly. God, I pray if there's anyone here, anyone listening who is not living according to the Spirit, but living according to the flesh, that hasn't placed their trust in your Son, Jesus, for their salvation, and pray that you would work in them right now to see that living in the flesh does not please you. They do not have an inheritance in your kingdom without placing their faith in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. So God, help us to live according to the Spirit and live like we are guaranteed an inheritance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.